Hello and thank you for joining with us as we continue in our series based on the book of Ezra. And today I'm going to try and um, bring together a theme that we find in a couple of chapters in the book of Ezra, in chapters 4 and 5 and nudging into chapter 6, and that is a theme of discouragement. So I'd like to talk to you today about discouragement. Um, I read a, a story about the Hayden Planetarium in New York. Um, they had invited expressions of interest from people who were interested in going on a space mission to another planet. And they were amazed to receive 18,000 applications for, uh, from people who wanted to jump into a spaceship and, and go to another planet, or at least to express interest in such things. Um, a team of psychologists looked at the applications and they came to the conclusion that the vast majority of people had expressed interest because they were dissatisfied with their lives and were hopeful of building a new life somewhere else. Discouragement, um, you know, has a vast company of, uh, uh, it's a vast company of us who feel discouraged at some point. And this has been a really discouraging year, 2020. Um, not just for individuals, but for organisations, for churches, uh, for missions. Um, I read in church history about another gentleman who had experienced discouragement. His name was David Brainard. He was a, a missionary in the 1700s to the Native Americans. And he kept a journal and um, he expressed his discouragement in it. Uh, he was making little headway. For the first two years, he wrote at one point that his prospects, he thought, of winning converts uh, to faith in Jesus Christ were, he said, as dark as midnight. Um, three years into his work, uh, there were some converts. There were about 150 um, Native Americans who converted to faith in Jesus Christ. And, you know, that doesn't sound like much, but it was deeply, a deeply significant number um, for, that t for that day. Unfortunately, two years later, Brainard died. He died at the age of 29, a young missionary man um, who uh, hadn't seen the success of his ministry. And after his death, um, another uh, great American church leader, uh, priest at the time, Jonathan Edwards, uh, published Brainard's journals. And these were read widely in America and also in Europe. And in fact, William Carey, who is credited with being the father of modern missions and who ignited the modern Protestant missionary movement that has been responsible for millions and millions of conversions worldwide. William Carey pointed to Brainard's journals as a key source of inspiration to take up the missionary life. If only, um, if only David Brainard could have known um, how significant his ministry was, he might not have felt so discouraged. Uh, certainly in ministry, one can feel quite discouraged. And I laughed when I saw come through my email last week a blog from a, um, a Christian leader which uh, was entitled Five Reasons Why You Shouldn't Quit Ministry in 2020. Um, I'm not giving any hints, okay? Because all of us can feel discouraged. And I think this has been a really discouraging year uh, for many in the church. Um, a year when perhaps a, a confidence in the faith has been eroded. Uh, we haven't been able to meet together. It's been a really difficult year. And I know that some have disengaged from church during this time and just feel 
um, a sense of discouragement. So I'm really pleased that we're looking at these chapters this morning. So let's jump backwards in time and let's go back to about 560 BC um, to the events that are recorded in the book of Ezra and find out about this their discouragement. And you'll recall that over the last couple of weeks, we saw that God's people, who about 50,000 men we read, but we can add the women and the children, so tens of thousands of people had just returned after about 70 years in exile in Babylon. They'd, they'd been given permission by the king of Persia to go back to their, their hometown of Jerusalem to rebuild the city, and they'd been given grants and support to rebuild their temple. And they made a great start. Uh, you know, one of the first things they did was they had a they celebrated a Thanksgiving festival. They built a great altar on which they put their sacrifices so that that they could you know come into God's presence again as God's people and then they laid the foundation and they had a great celebratory um, service in which they sang he is good his love towards Israel endures forever although some felt discouraged we also read at that, that in that very service that some some cried as they remembered the olden days but in chapter 4 um, God's people hit a complete brick wall and in those next couple of chapters we read about how the rebuilding of the temple came to effectively a standstill uh, for somewhere between 16 or more years there was nothing done so we read in chapter 4 about how they were opposed how they were discouraged and how they were fearful and the discouragement and opposition came in various ways. At the start of chapter 4, we read that um, some people came, uh, the enemies of Judah, in fact, came and offered to help. It was a, a dubious offer, a fake offer of help, which was rebuffed by God's people, um, who said, no, we will, we alone will build the temple um, for the God of Israel as King Cyrus has commanded us. Um, but as I read that I could imagine, uh, being a church leader myself, I can imagine the discussion that probably went on among God's people with some saying, no, no, we should accept any offer of help, uh, any offer, any resources, a good resource, we've got such a big work to do. Uh, but that first offer from God's people's enemies was rebuffed, but when it wasn't successful, they used other means. And so we read um, in Ezra chapter 4, then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They set out to discourage them and to make them afraid. They bribed officials to work against them and to frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. It's one sentence, but it's describing... Uh, about 16 years of opposition, um, of fear, and of discouragement. Uh, there was, we read, if we read um, in chapter 5, we read about a particular uh, uh, individual, the governor, Tatanai, who he and his colleagues opposed the rebuilding, they opposed God's people, they would make lists of names of God's people who were at work on the building, they would write letters to the king. Um, threatening, really saying that the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem and of the temple of God was actually a threat to national security. And as I read that, um, I thought, so it's not a new thing 
uh, for God's people to be considered, um, you know, an evil influence in society. Um, and that, their discouragement was successful for a very long time. Well, let's jump forward today when I feel like God's people have been discouraged as well. Um, it's been deeply discouraging not to be able to meet in person uh, for our worship services together. In our own church, we haven't met since early March. And, you know, it, it doesn't even seem to help much um, that it was necessary. You know, like the, you know we, we've been restricted in our meetings um, by the government. Uh, to be honest, our church stopped meeting a, a week before that government announcement. Um, and it's a needed thing. We can't meet together because it spreads this terrible coronavirus. Uh, we're trying to stop the pandemic by not meeting together. But nevertheless, the sheer length of time that God's people have not been able to meet together is discouraging. It effectively means we have the task of rebuilding ourselves when we do come back together. Um, any lengthy separation uh, will have a detrimental effect. You separate a married couple for such a long period of time and it will have a detrimental effect. Um, so just the very length, um, yeah, please God, let's get a vaccine as soon as we can and let's start meeting together as soon as it is safe to do so. But in, in amidst all of the, the government restrictions on the meetings of churches has come really some value statements which have been discouraging to us as well. Uh, we've been defined as non-essential. Uh, we are less essential, as far as our government's concerned, we are less essential than hairdressers and liquor stores. And in the last roadmap which was released by our state government um, about public meetings of churches. We were in that last little box, uh, in the same little box as brothels, um, about you know being the last that can start our public meetings together. So as necessary as it may be not to meet, those value statements about the church um, have been deeply discouraging. There's just no, there's no way of denying that. Um, it's been a year in which people have been able to speak with such disdain about churches too. I have a friend in Melbourne who is a very firm atheist. Uh, they grew up in a Christian home, so they know all the little knives to put in. And, and they've been sending me texts. So when, when it was announced that 20 people could meet together outside with a religious leader uh, for a service, they texted me and said, um, do that many people still want to go to church? Question mark. And um, on another occasion, when uh, church meetings were described as dangerous, they texted me and said, um, quote, churches are dangerous places for spreading all sorts of things after all, <laughs> to which I replied, laugh out loud. Yes, of course, dangerous ideas mostly, I guess. Ha ha. Uh, you know, but even before the coronavirus um, led to some discouragement for the church. There were there's bigger things at play in our society that have been discouraging to Christians, and these are all just stacked on top of each other. So you know, even before the pandemic hit, um, the growth um, of pluralism in our society. Um, has been discouraging for Christians. Christianity is no longer the dominant belief system in our society. Society is diverse and religion has been re re reduced to just a personal choice. Um, and 
altogether uh, we don't have a sense of there being objective truth and things like this actually make it very hard for us even to speak to our friends about our reasons for believing in Jesus Christ that loss of the valuing of objective truth um, and being pushed to uh, the fringes of our society but let's not blame other people because we, the people of God, have made mistakes as well. And one has been, um, and perhaps this is very true, especially of evangelical Christians, uh, we have defined ourselves, we have made ourselves distinctive by our beliefs rather than our lifestyle. We, we've, we made a false dichotomy. Um, I remember as a teenager hearing from a church leader that it was far more valuable to give my life to missionary service and to give my money to missions than it was to give my life to, say, working for a charity and building um, new wells to get fresh water or giving money towards that, that the Word of God um, was the most important thing. And the word of God is very important, but that was a false dichotomy. And, it, and as the pluralism of our society has grown, it has meant that Christians um, now look distinctive, not because of these great charitable lifestyles, these lifestyles of, of loving others as we love ourselves and, and you know, being charitable and doing kind works, good works. Uh, we are not distinctive because of that. We are distinctive because of our beliefs alone. And those beliefs in a plural society seem to be simply um, limiting naysaying statements. You know, we're, we're opposed to euthanasia. Uh, we're opposed to sex before marriage. We're opposed to women in large parts of the church. We're opposed to everything that's fun in society, like drinking and having a great time and um, losing the, you know, we're losing the weekend uh, to having fun. You know, we're, we're seen as, um, we're seen as the naysayers where we're distinctive because of our beliefs rather than beautiful lifestyles of loving other people. So we've got some ground to regain and that, that's discouraging. Um, American blogger Scott Higgins wrote in a blog that he, 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 he listed those and then he also added and he said also no one wants to speak about hell anymore. We're a little bit embarrassed as Christians about the doctrine of hell and it was embarrassing the hellfire and brimstone preachers that you'd see on TV and so on, um, you know, the Bible thumping preachers and so on. But, but, in, but in simply not speaking about what we understand about hell for so long, being a bit embarrassed by it, um, it means that that is certainly no motivation to us anymore. Uh, that we're not we're not motivated by the by facing the reality of the consequences of not coming to our heavenly Father through faith and salvation in Jesus Christ. We can add to that as well, and I'm sorry, like such a long list, we can add to that as well um, our, our systemic failures as an organisation. So large organisations, including the church, um, have, have, made, have made failures in, in appointing ungodly people to positions of power and allowing them to maintain those positions even while they misused that power. It hasn't just happened in the church, but it has happened in the church. And that means we've got a lot of moral high ground to regain. All of those things add up to discouragement. All of those things add up to well, quite a long list of discouragement and um, discouraging things even before COVID-19 hit and where we're restricted from being able to meet together. 
Um, God's people have been opposed and discouraged and have acted badly before any of this hit us. Um, so like the people of Ezra's day, it feels like we face this big wall of discouragement. Um, we don't, we're not called to the task of rebuilding the temple, but we're called to the task of building God's kingdom. And we have this big, big wall of discouragement that we need to get up and over. How can we do that? Well, let's go back to the book of Ezra and see what um, managed to get them out of the terrible situation, the discouraging and fearful situation that they were in, this lack of confidence in, in rebuilding. And I think we could draw out a lot, but I'm just going to draw out three things because three things are easy for us to grab hold of. Firstly, God's people um, in Ezra's day came to a fresh reading of God's word. They freshly heard God's word spoken directly to them and they heard it through the prophets. So we read in chapter 5 that Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet came to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem and preached to them in the name of the God of Israel. And we can read what they said in the books of Haggai and in Zechariah. And when we read Haggai, uh, we read of great reassurance. Um, this is what the prophet said. Well, these are the words of the Lord, declares the Lord. Be strong, be strong. Um, I am with you, declares the Lord. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Wow great encouraging words of God and just hearing afresh, hearing freshly the words of God. Well, we don't have the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, but you know we have this great, amazing amount, vast teaching of God and um, we need to come to a fresh reading of God's word that will deeply encourage us. Um, you know, as one uh, American preacher, Steve Cole, said this about this passage, he said, there are a number of ways that we can encounter God's word, but you've got to have exposure to God's word to get uh, that fresh encounter. And for too many of us, this is a book that we don't open. Um, we need to open it and um, to lean into it and to hear God speak to us. Um, someone was saying this week, a colleague of mine that I was having in yet another Zoom meeting, they were saying how, you know, when they were a young Christian person, they felt like God was speaking to them in a loud voice, loud and clear, and they'd open up God's word and they'd hear God's word to them. And it was just clear and as if it was being yelled at, oh, you must do this, you know, this is the next step for you. And as we grow, as we age, as we go on in faith, it feels like God's voice gets softer. It becomes what scripture calls that still small voice. But this colleague was saying that um, that's not a bad thing. God doesn't want to be shouting at us all the time. He wants us to lean in. Uh, he wants us to lean in, to hear his gentle words of encouragement and his words of love. So friends, let's go to this great word of God and have a fresh encounter with God through it. Another thing to note about God's people in the days of Ezra was that they had a fresh realisation that God was with them. So the words of Haggai again, Be strong, all of you, all you people of the land, for I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. Be encouraged by that. And um, as, I, as I read that, 
my my mind let's let's call it spirit led went to the book of revelation where we read the words of jesus christ to the church at laodicea so in revelation chapter 3 it says this jesus says here i am i stand at the door and knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come in and eat with that person and they with me to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. A fresh encounter with God's word and a fresh realisation that God is with us. There is Jesus standing at the door and knocking. Open the door, let him in and he will uh, fellowship. He will come in and be with that person and they with him. What great encouragement. Thirdly, a fresh commitment to God's word. I, I didn't quite read out all of what Haggai said. So Haggai prophesied to them, be strong, all of you people of the Lord of, of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. This is what I covenanted, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Now their task was rebuilding the temple. And Haggai brought God's word to them, give careful thought to your ways. Go to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured. See, you expected much, but it turned out little. They were disappointed. They were discouraged. Um, what you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Um, therefore, uh, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. And he goes on. Uh, he says, I am with you. Um, and they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty. There was a criticism that they were, they were caring for themselves. They were all resettled and living in houses that were all panelled nicely. But there was God's house unbuilt. And so they had a renewed, a fresh commitment to the work of God. Now, as I said, we don't have to rebuild our church buildings, thank God, um, but we are called to the building of God's kingdom. And as we return to meeting face to face, we will need not only to rebuild our churches um, in that spiritual sense, to rebuild our worshipping community together, to rebuild who we are as God's people, but to go on. Um, in God's work as well, in spreading the good news of God's kingdom, in spreading the good news of God's love, in spreading the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And we're going to need everyone to pull together, to volunteer, to, to minister to one another and to others in our community. So a great challenge. Well, discouragement. You know, there is a quite... Uh, common. I came across it in a number of places. This story um, told about Satan having a garage sale and he lays out all of these tools that he uses with their little price tags and these tools are things like malice and envy and lust and hatred and lying and pride and they've all got little tags on them so you can buy them to use those tools and then there's another table where there's a really worn old looking tool but it's got a super expensive price tag on it and someone says to satan 
you know, um, what's that old tool there? And uh, Satan says, well, that's discouragement. And, and, and they say, well, why is it so much dearer than all the others? And Satan replies, he says, well, with that tool, with discouragement, I can, I can get right into someone's heart. Um, I can do that in, in ways where all these other tools fail, but discouragement gets me in. And once I'm into someone's heart, I can do all sorts of damage. And you know what? I can use, I use this on almost everyone and uh, very few, almost no one realize um, that it belongs to me. Um, what a startling, what a startling story that is to ponder. That discouragement is one of the most valuable um, and most havoc-wreaking tools that Satan can use in our lives. So to conclude, are you feeling discouraged in your faith, um, or more generally? Uh, COVID-19, this whole year has been a year of great discouragement in many ways. Well, um, just as the devil may be able to break our hearts, God can mend them with a fresh encounter with his word, with a fresh appreciation of his presence with us, and with a fresh commitment to his work. Let me pray for us as we move forward from here. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the encouragement that comes to us from reading about the situation facing your people two and a half thousand years ago. Uh, Lord, thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that whilst as we work through this difficult year and it's hard to gain the perspective, we thank you for the perspective that your word gives us. And we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give us a fresh encounter with you through your word, that this week each of us would be motivated to open up your word and whether you shout to us through it or you speak in that still, small, quiet voice, Lord, uh, speak to us, give us a fresh word as we open up your word to us. We also pray for a fresh appreciation of how much you love us um, and how you are present with us and in us, in us, each one of us, and also as your people in this place. And we also pray that as we go, as we work along this, this, this um, roadmap towards meeting back together face to face, that you would give us, through these other two things, a fresh commitment a fresh encouragement to go on as your people and working towards the strengthening and the extension of your kingdom through each one of us. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour, with gratitude for all that he went through in order that we can have these great privileges. Amen. <music>